Podcast. My name is Peter Kennedy. I am your host. Thank you so much, as always, for tuning in. Today, I have a new guest, a first-time guest on the Sports Blog New York Podcast. He does his own thing with New York Sportscast. That's NY Sportcast on Twitter, on Instagram, all that fun stuff. His name is Charlie Quinn. What's up, dog? How are you, man? How are you, my man? Um, what's up, guys? My name is Charlie Quinn, obviously, as Peter said. Happy to be here. Um, very excited to get things going and chop it up about the NFL draft. Um, once again, excited to be here. Let's let's get it rolling. Absolutely, and it's uh, you know, it's funny because we've worked together on and off for a long time. I remember way back when uh, we were writing articles and whatnot for local basketball leagues. Oh, what was that like five, six years ago now? So we've come a long way. It's it's a grind, man. I, I appreciate. I'm very appreciative for everything you've uh, done for me along the journey, but it's definitely been a grind. It's it's tough. And Stephen A. Smith was hitting when he said that uh, you got to start out with local sports. <laughs> yeah, for real. Local sports to the max is a uh, Staten Island Recreational Basketball League. <laughs> <laughs> but we got to do what we got to do, and the grind doesn't stop. We have to keep going, and uh, even in this quarantine life that we live, um, we must continue to feel normal in some ways and unfortunately with the NBA we haven't been able to do that obviously baseball didn't even get a chance to start we haven't been able to feel normal with that the only thing that feels kind of normal here Charlie is the NFL draft and even that for, for me I don't know about you it snuck the hell up on me like I knew it was coming and coming and all of a sudden I woke up on Monday like oh it's this week yeah it came out of absolutely nowhere I mean the only thing I feel like that anybody's really cared for is the last dance the past month. I mean, rightfully so, but you got to show the NFL guys some love too. I mean, it's it's definitely snuck up on me. I'm, I 1 million percent agree with you, but um, that's not going to stop me from being very excited for it. That's for sure. That's right. And I mean, for me, my podcast, my radio habit, like my listening habits are just all whacked out because of working from home, no commute. Uh, none of that stuff. So my podcasts are behind, my radio shows are behind, and I haven't been as tuned in as I normally am at this time. But I feel like once we get to Thursday night, everybody who normally would be turning on the draft is going to be like, oh, snap, I got some real-ish sports stuff to do, and I'm going to be locked in. So I'm pumped for that. Uh, and and we're both Giants fans, correct? You're a Giants fan, Charlie? Yes, sir. All right, so we're going to get, obviously, into the Giants and the Jets specifically. Um We're obviously going to get into the quarterback situation and the top 10, the top 15 ish prospects. All those guys are super interesting, but another just overarching storyline with this draft is what the vibe is going to be like, right? It's going to be virtual. Now, granted, what would you say? Maybe there's like 30, 40, 50 different players physically at the draft. The first two nights. Now there'll be zero. So what are your expectations, Charlie on, you know, what the vibe is going to be like for those players, for the teams, for us as viewers? I mean, personally, I think it's going to be, as, as viewers, right off the bat, I think it's going to be strange. Obviously, when you when you see something over and over for years, and then you see something new, it's always going to be a challenge. I mean, it's going to be, it's definitely going to be weird. I mean, I'm used to seeing the, the families, like, celebrating. Usually when they're from home, they have people crowded around them. The guy gets the call. He cries, everybody hugs him, goes nuts. Now I don't even think we're going to be able to get that because people really haven't even thought of that because during quarantine you really can't be around people. So when people do these FaceTimes and these these Skype calls when they get drafted, I, I can't imagine they're going to be too crazily excited. It's not, I can't imagine it, but it's going to be the same. That, that's really what I could say on that. 
Yeah, and you know what? You just you know, just brought something to my mind. I didn't even think about because I I was thinking to myself, um, you know, some players like Baker Mayfield choose to be home, but they choose to be home to be surrounded by their friends and family, right? Like Baker Mayfield looked like he had 25, 30 people in his house last year, right? You can't even yep. do that. That's not allowed. Six yeah. people tops. Is that it? Like it's going to be crazy. Yeah, and I remember that it was so like the draft has been so easily it's done so easily and so smoothly now that I remember during that draft, Baker Mayfield's best friend was sitting like right behind him in his house and he called him early. He called him like three minutes before the Browns called him to try to like get his jitters going and like get a fake draft pick phone call. And I don't think you could do that now. Like that type <laughs> of stuff is probably completely off limits. You gotta hide in the bathroom to pull that off now. You can't be sitting in the room yeah. over. <laughs> Can ruin someone's life now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's gonna be it's gonna be freaking strange. I, I mean, I think we all feel pretty confident that Joe Burrow will be the number one pick. Uh, we all feel pretty confident about Chase Young and his status in this whole draft. And then it gets all pretty pretty freaky. But I, everyone's gonna be a little bit on edge and not really knowing what to expect overall. I imagine ESPN will have like a hundred different analysts from their bedrooms with with some banners behind them to make it look as legit as they can. But oh my, it, it's gonna I never be weird. Thought of that. I forgot you know what the announcers they they deserve love too. I forgot about them. I forgot about the reporters who are usually they get right there and they interview the guy when they come off the stage or they talk about the pick. Yeah, it's gonna be really I didn't even I didn't even that's weird. This that is, is this is where weird. this is where the old John Clayton commercial of him in his mom's house where he, uh, you know, starts playing the guitar or whatever the hell he's doing, eating yeah. lo, <laughs> yeah, lo mein noodles in his bedroom, doing Sports Center hits. <laughs> that's yeah. that's where we've come to today. <laughs> yeah, Jesus, man, this is this is weird. But I think in if you look at it from this way, it could be looked at as a positive. This could be one of the craziest drafts we've ever seen because what do we really expect? I mean, we didn't have pro days from guys, so how accurate could these reporters' mock drafts really be? If, they weren't really, for the past month, really on the scene as much. So, I mean, I saw a GM, I, don't, I can't remember off the top of my head who it was, but I saw a GM say that the analysts have never been as wrong about mock drafts as they've been this year. So, hopefully we're in, in for a treat. I just hope that New York Giants don't do anything wrong. <laughs> yeah, it's funny because that's a double-edged sword right there. There's going to be some teams who maybe go too high on somebody, too low on somebody, someone will fall too far, and it, it can get real wonky up in there. You can have some real funky stuff. Out of curiosity, though, Charlie, and not to put you on the spot because we did not discuss this before we started recording, do you have like a go-to mock draft website or person or writer or whatever? I mean, usually I go with um, NFL Draft Scout. That's what he refers to himself as. I'll show him the respect of calling him that, Matt Miller, on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Um, I usually go with him just because he really knows how to engage with the fans and fans seem to respect him. and. His mock drafts, he usually tweets them out opposed to putting them on a website. So when you get the pick, you really see a video or a picture of what really the player looks like and what the player brings to the table. He does a little bit of a breakdown for each of his picks. So, I mean, that's really my go-to because I like to be as knowledgeable as possible about the player to try to sound educated. That's it. That's what it's all about, trying to sound educated, right? <laughs> yep, for sure. I mean, you don't... <laughs> You don't want to be that guy who, who's barking and barking and barking, and it turns out you're barking up the wrong tree. And here we are. We're going to be spitting taste for the next 30 or 40 minutes or whatever. Hopefully we're not barking up the wrong tree. <laughs> I, <laughs> yeah, I, I, will, I hope so. I will say, though, the- I am a McShay guy. I'm a McShay guy over Kuiper. I think McShay, as being the younger man, he doesn't get enough respect as he should. 
Kuiper's hair has had a long enough run for me. I agree with you one million percent. <laughs> I couldn't agree with you anymore. My and favorite his thing. Hair is, his hair is really bad. That is that was uncalled for, but it was really, <laughs> it's really bad. My favorite thing is when you know, you get like some podcast host, radio host, they really start, you know, they're just riffing, they're not even talking about specific players. And they start talking about Kuiper as just like a human being. And they're like, yeah, this dude's locked in. He could tell you who the top 20 players of like the 2024 draft are right now. Like he is so far into this stuff that it's like, it's like freak stuff. And it just makes me, you know, wonder and aspire to like love something that much in my life where I mean, I'm I, that locked I in. I sit here thinking that I'm, I know not, not that I know everything in the sports world, but I sit here thinking that, damn, I mean, I know a lot more than the average person. So, I mean, what could Mel Kuyper possibly know? <laughs> he knows so much that he doesn't know anything. Like that's, like, I, I agree with you. That statement <laughs> makes perfect sense. And that's the only way to describe Mel Kuyper Jr. Now on, that's how we, that's how he will be described. That's hilarious. All right. Well, we'll start to get into some actual draft stuff, but I just want to give you a, a quick shout here again. Uh, NY Sportcast on Twitter, on Instagram. Definitely recommend following the Instagram. He, he's got it up. It's kicking. It's picking up speed. So, Charlie, just tell us a quick little bit about New York Sportscast. Uh, thank you, Pete. I really appreciate that. Um, New York Sportscast is a um, homegrown, built brand, sports media brand. We share articles. We engage in Twitter debates. Really try to gain a following of, of Twitter of Twitter users who love to debate. Um, share um, highlight videos, workout videos, the whole nine yards on the Instagram. We do a lot of polls, a lot of debates, like I said, and really just any way to engage with the fans to try to make them feel like they're with us along the journey. Absolutely. But um, I, really, I really appreciate you dropping the, the shout out. Um, like I said before, I appreciate everything you've done along this ride and Excited to keep going with this podcast, my man. Yeah, that's it, bro. We're we're still on this ride. We got a long ways to go, the two of us, and we'll we'll keep going. Absolutely. We'll keep doing just that. Uh, but but let's now start this this draft talk here. And there's really only one place to start, right? It's with the quarterbacks. Every single year, no matter if there's a surefire number one pick, if there's a mishmash of three guys who are going to go between one and ten, the quarterbacks run the entire draft, right? Oh, yep. And this, this one's no different, right? So we have Joe Burrow, we have Tua, we have Herbert, and then, you know, in a little bit of a distance, we got Love, and we got um, we got some other guys, like maybe if you want to throw Jalen Hurts in there, he's probably going to go further down, but we got Fromm, we got Jacob Eason, and that really rounds out the quarterbacks that we really care about right now. So real quick question for you, is Joe Burrow your surefire number one quarterback? I mean, see now, the Vegas odds have him at minus 10,000 to go number one. So I'm going to respect the odds and say he will go one. But that doesn't mean he's the best quarterback in the draft. Okay. Um, I've been preaching it this year, this whole season. I've been preaching it last year. I've wanted the Giants to have their franchise quarterback for years. I thought that Eli was done, obviously. Obviously, he's shown that he has now that we have Daniel Jones. But... um. I think that Justin Herbert is the best quarterback in the draft. I think his accuracy, his poise, the way he 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 can control the game is just very 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 impressive. I love his demeanor. I think that he's he's QB1. People are going to think I'm crazy for that. If he's not QB1, he is 1 million percent QB2 over Tua. I don't think that debate is even close. I think Tua is the product of a system and that he's had multiple hip injuries, not just one. And he has has a really banged up body as a whole. 
I just don't think that his run in the NFL is going to be as long as everyone thinks it is. And I think that now that more info and more info is coming out right up leading up to the draft on Tua's health and on Tua's history, I I just don't think that Tua is the number two quarterback in this draft whatsoever. Wow. You show, you kind of showed your whole hand there, but it was well executed, and I appreciated the whole thing. You said a million percent? Tua is not the second best quarterback? Is that, what, is that right? Yep. One million, one million percent can be quoted. <laughs> I will. And I, I love how you answered that question from the get-go because it's kind of a, it's a loaded question, right? Because you being somebody who's paying attention to this stuff all the time and trying to be right as well as correct, if that makes sense. So you want to get the right guy, but you also want to get the pick correct, right? So you understand that Joe Burrow is going to be the correct choice for number one pick if you're betting Ooh, who's the number one pick, right? You but you think, yes. Yeah, so I appreciate that. It actually reminds me very strongly of the uh, Luka Doncic draft in the NBA, right? If people ask me, oh, who's going to be the number one pick? It's, oh, to DeAndre Ayton. Oh, so you think he's the best player? Like, absolutely not. Like, Luka Doncic is the best player by far, but DeAndre Ayton is going to be the number one pick. And it seems like you're not obviously saying it that strongly about Joe Burrow, but if you were the Bengals, are you saying that you would rather pick Herbert? If I'm the Bengals, I mean, I'm, if Miami seriously wants to come up and get Burrow at one, I'm, I'm at least, at the very least, heavily considering it. And why at not? At least. So, I mean... Go ahead. The why not? I mean, the pros of having Burrow in Cincinnati. I mean, you have weapons. Obviously, AJ Green is old. He didn't play last season, but a positive from that is he didn't play last season, and he is old, so he got his legs back a little bit. Um, Tyler Boyd, I like him. I like their John Ross. I like Joe Mixon. I like their their offense as a whole. I just didn't like Andy Dalton. He never won a primetime game. He was not the right fit for that offense. And Joe Burrow's from Ohio. Obviously, he went to Ohio State. He was Mr. Ohio football, Mr. Football in Ohio while he was in high school. Um, he said that he's, he grew up like an hour and a half away from the Cincinnati Stadium. So the fit that way, I mean, you look at it that way, it, you kind of can't not take the hometown kid who just threw for 60 touchdowns. I mean, the, the city might burn in flames. But <laughs> if I was them, I mean, 5-18 and 18 for Miami, which you would have to assume at – at minimum would take to get the first pick is juicy, man. You can get two legit NFL high caliber starters in 2020 alone. So you won't even have to, you won't even have to wait for these guys to be impact type of players. I mean, they come in and they produce right away. And if you're not, like you said, if you're not the Cincinnati of Ohio Bengals, uh, for lack of a better term, like, maybe it's a lot easier to consider that option. But with all the things you just mentioned, it makes so much sense. It's actually even more like the DeAndre Ayton thing than I even realized until this very moment because DeAndre Ayton played, obviously, college basketball in the Phoenix Suns' backyard, and it made so much yeah. sense for him to go to, to Phoenix. Um, so I have a little comparison here that I'm kind of workshopping, but I'm going to workshop it on you, and you tell me what you think is good or bad about it. Um, Joe Burrow is much more like Baker Mayfield than we realize, except he has a much better approval rating. Uh, I mean, I personally, I hate Baker Mayfield more than any other quarterback in the NFL, <laughs> but there's, there's a little bias in that because he attacked my boy Danny Dimes a couple times. 
But um, I could I could see I could definitely see the argument. Like I could I could most definitely see uh, I could see it. I don't necessarily fully agree with it, but there's definitely a case to be made. And the there's reason, one- like the arc of why I'm I'm making this case here, is the way they kind of transcended to become the quote unquote surefire number one pick, right? Burroughs yeah. happened a little bit quicker uh, because he was doing so damn well this season. But Baker had doubters. He was too small. He was too this. He was too that. He was too cocky. Burrow had this thing where it was like, oh, he couldn't make it in Ohio State. Now he's at LSU. LSU has this old school offense that's garbage. They're not going to highlight him. He didn't have a great season. Then they revamped their offense. They came out in the 21st century, and he balled out clearly and became this number one pick. But Joe Burrow, from a personality standpoint, this is more of a personality and like storyline thing than how they actually play. But storyline-wise, Joe Burrow just continuously won people over. They loved his competitiveness. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. They loved the chip yeah. on his shoulder. He was a bit of a talker himself, too. Yeah. He was a bit of a talker. I mean, for anybody who, who – I mean, not that this necessarily matters, but for anybody that's not born in Louisiana and goes to LSU and wants to put the E-A-U-X um, on the back of their jersey – that takes balls, man. I, I, that takes a lot of guts. When he, when he ran out of the, the tunnel on senior night and he had the – they spelt it um, just like they, they, they spell uh, go Tigers. Yeah, yeah. That was – that took balls. I mean that was a, a chip on the shoulder type of moment where I could most definitely compare him to Baker Mayfield. I mean some of the things he even said before the college football playoff were a little ballsy. He, he said he got uh, sized for his ring finger. He said that uh, he was going to – they they showed him a picture when he was a kid. They were like, oh, what would you say to this young kid right now uh, that he's a national champion? Mm. So, I mean, I, I could most definitely see the argument 100%. So, yeah, except for some reason, you know, Baker got caught with the crotch grab, um, you know, getting pissed off at Kansas for not he shaking his hand. A little, yeah, fighting the, the cop. I mean, a little out of control. Baker. Right. The flag thing, like all these things add up. And I love that you use the word ball so many times right there because I kid you not, in my draft notes that I I started writing down for all like the big prospects I wanted to have some notes on, the first thing I wrote after Joe Burrow was balls, exclamation point. I swear. And that wasn't, that had nothing to do actually with his personality. It was actually how he plays quarterback. Like that dude's ready to to make plays. And and that's why people love him so much. Um, now, here's my, my devil's advocate, my counter-argument to the whole Joe Burrow, number one pick, all that fun stuff. Are we are we positive, and this goes to your point here, that he is the most talented quarterback? I, I can't say with that much confidence that I think he's more talented than Tua, more talented than Herbert, but he had this ascension, and everything worked and fit so perfectly together that it's almost undoubtedly his number one pick to lose. And that's why I'm fine with it. The Bengals take Burrow. That's cool. I think he's a good quarterback. I think he's a really good quarterback. I'm not that convinced he's leaps and bounds above Tua and Herbert. I'm, I'm glad that you said that, and I'm glad we could at least be on that part of the page. You know what I mean? I mean, I, that's, that's really what has been bothering me, the whole Burrow debate. I mean, he threw 60 touchdowns, yes, obviously, phenomenal. He didn't even throw half of that the year before. So that's, I'm not taking it away from him. I'm not taking all the yards he had away from him. I'm not taking his seven touchdowns when he could have threw 14 touchdowns in the championship game. I'm not taking any of that away from him. But like you said, the talent level, when you get to the NFL, I mean, speed matters and talent matters. I know that they say that the number one thing when you get to the NFL is how 
well you study the playbook and how well your IQ is. But the talent aspect also matters. And he doesn't really move around that well, Burrow. He moves well, but I don't think he is as good of an athlete as the other two guys. I mean, when healthy, two is most definitely a better athlete than him. Yeah. I don't think that's really up for a debate. And when healthy, I think that Herbert's a better athlete than him. I even think that Jordan Love is a better athlete than him, even though I wouldn't touch Jordan Love with a 10-foot pole. Oh, man, I'm glad you said that. I can't see a guy who goes to a, a low-level school, throws 20 picks in a season, and then is a bona fide first round pick. I don't, it doesn't make much sense to me. Dude, we but. may, get, we may get into a debate soon because of the two a Herbert thing. I think we might be on opposite sides there, but the Jordan love thing. So I'm taking notes on all these first round quarterbacks. Right. And I by far have the most notes on Jordan love. Cause there's the most negatives to pick out. So for example, for Joe Burrow, I have balls in all caps and as major point, I have calm feet, very calm and active feet. Yeah. His receivers are go-getters, which is maybe a, a down on him, but he's given them a chance. He has good touch. He's poised, whatever, all that stuff. Uh, Herbert and Tua, I have some stuff, like four or five lines. Jordan Love, these are the notes I have for Jordan Love, and I'm just going to get this out of the way because we don't have to talk about him after this. Inactive feet. The guy doesn't move his feet very much for an athletic dude. He has a wonky arm motion. He has a strong arm when his feet are under him, but he has yep. back foot throws way too often, and they're inaccurate. And also, if you watch, like I watched probably 150 snaps from Jordan Love in the past 24 hours. The amount of just catch the ball and throw it right away to his first decision is absurd. I don't know if it's the offense or it's just him, but it wasn't a good look. It's literally first decision or scramble, and that's not really good. But on the other thing, he has a strong arm. He has the look. And some of the throws he makes, I felt like LSU, Bama, Oklahoma receivers are making those plays when his Utah State receivers are just not. That was the only positive thing I wrote about him, that his receivers aren't making the plays that the other guy's receivers are. And that's not a good look for my man Jordan Love. So essentially, I I get what you're saying. I mean, I I agree with everything you've said, and I get what you mean on the last uh, statement that, like his receivers didn't go up and make enough plays. So essentially, that's what they that's what the knock on Jones was last year that he had like it was some absurd number of balls dropped and it was absurd. Like he didn't have a, the highest uh, player in his offense was like a two or a three star. And that was like the big knock. But I, I, I watched a little bit of film on, on, on Jordan love leading up to his bowl game this year. And I understood the hype a little bit. And then I watched that bowl game, and I was like, man, this guy is I, – I would, wouldn't touch him in the third round. Forget about the first round. Yeah, just – no, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. I'm out. I, um, I wanted I'm to out. really like him too. I wanted to like I – I put his tape on saying, I hope I like this guy. And that's usually a bad way to go into it. And I left watching his tape saying, I'm good. Just too many, like, catch it, throw it. But no, because is, he's supposed – like, this, this might sound crazy, but – you also may think this has a little bit of a, you can go somewhere with it. Um, I think that teams are a little enamored with finding the next Patrick Mahomes, essentially a guy that is tall, skinny, and athletic that could just throw the ball a hundred yards. And if he's going to throw interceptions, they don't care. They just want that ability because you can't teach talent. And he has that talent, obviously with that arm strength that I'd say most guys probably don't have, but I think teams are getting enamored with finding that Patrick Mahomes and are willing to miss on a guy like that than take a surefire conventional type of quarterback that will get you seven, eight wins. Right. 
Yeah, I feel that. Uh, I, it's so it's so tough. But also, I think if you go Mahomes or or like mini Mahomes or Mahomes light, I I think Herbert more than than Love anyway. But so, let's get into that. Let's get into the two or Herbert debate because that's the true debate here when we talk quarterbacks in this draft right now, right? Burrow's gonna go number one, whether you think he's the best or not, doesn't matter, right? So let's get to Tua and Herbert. So Tua, we have to just mention this off the jump. The injuries are real, right? They're so yep. real. You have to take them into consideration. You can't not. But now for a second, let's just think about them as quarterbacks because I know you have a strong feeling about this. These are the notes I wrote for Tua. He has quick twitch but calm demeanor. I wrote also balls because I wrote his notes after Joe Burrow. He, yeah, he's, he's a game. He definitely, I, I will give him that. He could, he could take the hits. That's yeah. also a problem. Right, that's a, that's a blessing and a curse. He has a flair for the spectacular, and he makes yep. really sound decisions. And those are what I wrote for Tua. For Herbert, I wrote more fluid, but like Josh Allen. I wrote arm mm-hmm. in all caps. Tough runner can move. Needs a little bit more touch, but there's no window too tight for him, which is a good thing and a bad thing. So those are my mm-hmm. quick little uh, side notes on those two guys. Now make your argument why you think Jane, uh, Justin Herbert is better than Tua. Okay. Um, first off, I'm just going to tell you that I loved that uh, quick Twitch comment on Tua because I couldn't really, I didn't really have a name for it. And I've been watching him do that quick Twitch and it was really bothering me. And I just appreciate you saying the quick Twitch. I couldn't think of it. Um, That's what I'm here for. I, 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 I think that Herbert's accuracy is completely, completely underrated. Everybody talks about the big arm strength, but there's some throws he can make on the run that, are just really, really, really tough. And once again, I mean, you're rolling out, you're more likely to take those hits. And after a while, you can't take those hits, like we've said. But I think that his footwork is, is a bit better than, uh, than Tua's. I do think that he may, he tends to, to fit it into windows, like you said. He, he, he's not afraid to make that throw, which is a little bit concerning. But, I mean, I, I, I really, 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 really... Sorry, I really prefer him as QB two over over Tua, and I don't. I really don't think it's close. I think that Tua's had. They said it was going to be four possible first round draft picks at receiver if they all went out this year. I mean, I don't think they all would have been first round picks due to the insane receiver draft we have. But I'm going to assume Waddle and and Smith are going to be first round picks next year, and that'll be four first round picks that are receivers from his offense, his running backs which were Josh Jacobs, who was a first-round pick last year, Najai Harris, who's likely going to be, at the very least, a third-round pick this year. He had Jedrick Wills protecting him, the first-round um, lineman. And I believe he had another, I think, a top-50 um, Alabama offensive lineman. Sounds about right. <laughs> so, I mean, he's got – I mean, obviously, when you go to Alabama, the, the pieces are going to follow you no matter what. You're going to get loads and loads and loads of fours and five stars. But – we haven't I, I, I honestly I, I haven't seen him perform without that talent. I haven't I'm just not sold on him well, without well, the talent. What I can say to counter that is that we also haven't seen a quarterback at Alabama do the things he's done basically in oh, our lifetime, sure. right? Sure, so yeah, like sure. he took the Alabama offense of run, pound people, give it to our speedy guys outside and let them destroy folks, and he was like, nah. I'm going to destroy folks. And he did for like a year and a half before he started getting banged up. And you know, this is, Oh, I apologize. No, you're you're good. I was just going to say, and he, he's like, it's funny that him and Burrow are, and even Herbert too, two is like the inverse to Joe Burrow. Joe Burrow is like 
really calm but active feet. Two is like that. Like we, I used the word quick touch before. I use it again. He's quick in the pocket, but he moves, but he's under control. He's the inverse to Joe Burrow because he wants to make the quick decision, but is ready to make uh, a patient or scramble decision later on in the play. And Burrow is so calm and moves so smoothly through the pocket, whereas two is like jerking and juking people, and it's so different. And we see both styles in the NFL right now. And even to bring Herbert back into this, quarterbacks in the NFL that are successful right now are ones that are willing to take risks. It's kind of like the three-point shot in basketball. You Mm -hmm. need the quarterbacks who are going to make big plays. And all three of these guys fit that mold, which I think is exciting for this draft. See, now, I was I was watching ESPN earlier today, and I saw Sal Palantonio uh, compare Herbert to Josh Allen. And I've been seeing that a little bit more and more recently. Oh, and I, I just said that, too. Yeah, I, I, I noticed that. And I really I don't, I just don't see it. I don't. It's more of a movement it, thing, though. It's like the size and stature. It's the way know, the ball a, flies out of their hands. It's like a, it's, I, I wrote more fluid, but like Josh Allen. That's what I wrote. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, another thing for me is I love Herbert's size compared to his size. If we're talking about Herbert with all these injuries, I think people maybe look at it a little bit different because has a bit of a, bit of a, a bigger body and a bigger um, frame opposed to Tua, who is – I'm not quite positive what his exact height is, but I know it's in the six-foot range. I know they always compare him to Breeze and Wilson, so it's got to be close to what they are. Um, and another thing with Tua is – I know that he sat back and he threw the ball a lot at Alabama, but for the most part early on, I mean, he was not only a thrower, but he was a runner. And he he got banged up running around, but it's a part of your game. I mean, guys aren't just going to take take it out of their game. I mean, you can't – it's a natural instinct to get up and just run. I mean, they said RG3 was going to change when he got to the NFL. His first year, he was phenomenal. His second year, he was good. He was running around. He was making plays, but eventually it catches up to you. And one more thing going back to Tua is – I saw him throw a ton and a ton and a ton of these quick slants. And these quick slants with these great receivers, obviously, you can't take it away from him that the receivers are running it 80 yards for a touchdown. But I saw it almost too many times that his receivers were, weren't bailing him out, but they were going out there and they were making a play. And not all guys have receivers that to just go out there and make a play 24-7 like he has. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it, it 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 was honestly it was just crazy to see, and that team really deserved the chance at the college football playoffs this year. And one last thing, not to just keep ragging on Tua. I mean, he's gone through a lot. God forbid. Um, <laughs> Mac Jones was plugged into that offense, and Auburn was supposedly all year long. I heard how great their defense was, and it was the best defense in the SEC. It was the best defense in the country. This that. He puts up, I think, 45 points on them on the road in one of the biggest rivalries in all of college football in his first start yeah. or his second start. I mean, come on, man. Like, there's, there's, that That's what really put me over the top. And I was sitting there. I'm like, damn, how good could Tua really be if this guy is putting up 50 points on the best, best defense in the country? And then he came out, and Michigan is known to have a very good defense year in and year out, and he dominated them in the bowl game. Right. Yeah, it's true. It's 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 worth mentioning. It's worth mentioning. And all right, so let's make this definitive here. So let's just agree that Burrow's going number one to the Cincinnati Bengals, right? Let's just Mm -hmm. take our best guess on where Tua and Herbert fall. You can 
I'll leave it up to you, actually. Uh, you, you can give me both or one. Give me what you think should happen and then what you think will happen. Okay. So what I think should happen, I mean, fit-wise, I think Herbert's a better fit in Miami and Tua is a better fit in uh, with the Chargers. Um, it seems that the coach of the, the Chargers is looking for a little bit more of a, a mobile offense and uh, a little bit of a, a quick read offense, a first read offense it really looks like. If you look at the way they use their running backs the past couple of seasons and the way they use Keenan Allen at the chains, and they really don't take as many deep shots as you would expect them to with all those weapons. I think he fits that system because that's what he really did at Alabama. It was quick reads and quick throws. Um, I think what's going to happen, I didn't think this was going to happen until about two hours ago. I don't think two is going to Miami anymore. Mm. I think all these reports coming out are true and teams are really getting worried about his injury history. And I think the dolphins are going to dolphin and they're going to get cold feet and pull out at the last at the last second. And I think it's going to work out for them. I think the jokes are going to be off the table and it's going to work out for them. I think uh, realistically, I think it's going to, I think it's really going to work out for Miami that during this draft because they have so many picks and it would really, really, really set them back crazily if they swung and missed with their quarterback. I think they had to have done enough evaluating. Yeah. I mean, I they've probably that, been banging their head against the wall for like three months now. Just they, had, they had to be fun. It's really, it, it really is such a, I mean, the way I'm speaking on it, I'm, I'm bashing the guy too. I mean, but he's there for a reason. I mean, yeah, I mean, he's so talented. He's so talented. Decision. Right. He's like, still very talented. He's still one of the best players on the planet, regardless of how you look at him. So, I don't think he's going to end up Miami anymore. I really don't think that's the fit. All right. Well, for my ranking quick, I, um, I'm just going to say this. If Tua didn't have the injuries and that's a hypothetical fake universe that I'm creating right now, he would actually be mm-hmm. my number one quarterback, but that's I'm, fair. That's I'm a taking, fair way to look at him. Yeah. I'm taking those injury concerns for real. And I'm just saying if I'm the dolphins and or chargers, right. And I have a choice at a quarterback in that five, six range, I'm going with Tua first because of the upside and what I think he can be at the next level and with what undersized quarterbacks have been able to pull off at the next level in recent years. So I'm still going Tua above Herbert, but I do really like Herbert, and I think both teams can come out victorious, um, the Chargers oh, and the Dolphins very, in that very, in that regard. That's very respectable. Yeah. I, I agree in that sense 100%. I do still have Herbert over Tua, though. But um, I definitely agree with you. I mean, two is definitely a special talent. I'm not going to sit here and rag on him. He had tremendous success at Alabama, and I wish him a ton of success in the NFL. I just do not think it's going to work out. There you go. All right, well, let's move on because we got to keep this thing moving here. We got to get to some other topics. Let's talk about our hometown teams, right? So we got the Giants sitting at four, the Jets sitting at 11, and uh, the Giants obviously have a bunch of holes. They don't need to draft a quarterback right now, so they don't have to worry about this conversation, right? They need help. At, on defense in a bunch of places, but specifically linebacker. They obviously need offensive line help, which basically every team in the league needs. Um, so to you, a fellow Giants fan, let's start with the Giants since they are pick number four. Uh, what are your hopes for the Giants to pull off here at number four? Um, in a perfect world, we would trade out of four. In a perfect world, just get a couple more picks and really just don't have to move back crazily. I'd like to move back at most 10 picks, and even that's really pushing it. 
Um, I'd like to target the, the sixth pick for the Chargers, obviously, but I don't think there's really much sense in them moving up because we're not going to take a quarterback. And unless they really have a preference of one of those two guys like we spoke of, there's really not much of sense in them moving up. Um, I think they're going to be leaning towards an offensive lineman at this point. I had hoped it was going to be Simmons, but from now, looking back on it, I've really tried to, before I really made my full decision, really tried to think it through. And I think personally the best pick is going to be Jedrick Wills from uh, Alabama, the offensive lineman. He fits the, he fits the the pick. I mean, we really need a, an offensive lineman. We've needed a tackle for God knows how long we just invested two really premium picks in Daniel Jones and Saquon Barkley, another premium pick in Evan Ingram. I mean, Shepard was a second round pick. Got lucky that you hit on Slayton in the fifth round because he, him and Jones had tremendous success and you got to just, you got to protect these guys. You could have all the talent in the world and if you're not protecting them, what does it matter? So I think that they should go offensive linemen. I think they're going to. Patriot way has been, Build an O-line and don't let Tom Brady get hit. Joe Judge comes from Alabama, has come from the Patriots. He understands in order for these guys, for these athletes to succeed, they have to be healthy. It's meant to be healthy. They have to be protected. And I think the pick is an offensive lineman. I think it's going to be Wills, but I'm okay if it's Worfs. It's about him, but I'm okay if it's him. And let's roll through with it. Yeah, I mean, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna front here. I do not know much about Wills, Andrew Thomas, or Worfs for that matter. All I know is. Mm-hmm. There's two trains of thought here with the Giants pick. If you pick any of those three offensive linemen right there at number four, uh, right number four, yeah, number four, um, the Giants fans will be pleased because we all know how bad the O-line's been and how important it is to be good there, right? So Wills, uh, Thomas, Wirfs, any of them, people will be happy. I think the sexiest pick is still Isaiah Simmons, right? The versatility Ooh. on this dude, he's like a a, sa- a strong safety outside linebacker, middle linebacker, hybrid extraordinaire who seems wow. like he's going to be the right type of hybrid and not the wrong type, like maybe Jabir Peppers might be. I don't know. Um, but I love Isaiah Simmons. The dude's a freak. I think if if the Giants do take Simmons, nobody will be upset, and nor should they be but I do still believe the right pick is to go offensive lineman. Absolutely. I agree with you. I just, now like when you're going back on that and saying people won't be upset, I think that taking offensive lineman, people will feel like, I, I think people have a better feel for the 2020 season, feel like more comfortable essentially. But I think when you draft Isaiah Simmons, you still have a ton of questions with the offense because that offensive line is still not, even close to what it should have been. Right. I yeah. think it's really, you can't really go wrong though. I, I, I'm happy where we are. I, I think, think Isaiah Simmons is the type of guy you want to pick when your team's a little bit closer, right? Like, is he really going to be the type of player, especially in his first contract, who is going to change the entire outlook of a defense? Like who, how many players are there that can actually do that? We think Chase Young is that guy who, by the way, isn't it funny? We haven't even mentioned Chase Young because we all just know how good he is. Like, yeah, this is like, oh, this guy is just a freak. Let's just let's yeah. get him out. 15 sacks. Yeah, He's we'll a freak. Him. We don't have to worry about him. He's going to be fine. As long as he doesn't start like smoking crack, we're good. Um, I mean, behind him, I have a hot take about, but we'll get to that eventually. Oh dude, we will get to that. Cause I also have one. Uh, but yeah, I think Simmons is the pick you take if you're a little bit closer to a complete team to really finish out a defense. But the O line is just too damn important, and you have to go there. Uh, so let's yeah, let's move on to the other New York team, and then we'll 
we're going to fill in the blanks here uh, with the other top 10-ish picks, but let's jump to 11 to keep it New York-based here for a second. The Jets obviously are another team that needs a number of items on their team, right? They could use O-line, of course. Everyone can. They can use defensive players. But the sexy pick and what they are desperate for, for Sam Darnold's sake, is playmakers. And they are happen to be a few playmakers in this draft at receiver who are projected in that 9 to 15 range. So yep. I'll open it up to you. I'll mention some names. I'll say Jared Judy. I'll say CeeDee Lamb. I'll say Henry Ruggs. And uh, is it receiver or bust for the Jets, or do you think they're going to go a different direction? I think the receiver is where they're going to go. I think it's either – I think it's narrowed down to two positions for sure. I think it's offensive line and receiver because God bless Sam Donald back there. He really does get abused. <laughs> God bless, man. I love Sam Donald too. I think he's going to be really good, but, I mean, they got to get him the weapons and, and get him the protection. But um, I think they're going to go receiver. I mean, any, a, everything I've been reading has really been pointing towards receiver. Uh, I actually I don't really I don't really do this. I'm not one to like flex, but um I actually had an inside source tell me that um they love Henry Ruggs. Like they love Henry Ruggs more than any receiver on the board that if he was the first guy there they would take him, which I don't know how wow. necessarily true that could be, but they love him for the same reason why John Gruden loves him and it's the over the top speed. So if I have to pencil somebody in at pick 11, who I think there's really not a doubt about him being available. I think it's going to be Henry Ruggs because, I mean, let's be honest, the Jets are going to jet. If the Jets' first option is CeeDee Lamb, he is not going to be available. And if the second option is Jerry Judy, he's likely not going to be available either because they don't have luck. So I think I honestly do think from a, a real standpoint, not just joking around, that Henry Ruggs is going to be the 11th pick in the draft. Okay, I like that. I like that well-thought-out process there because I don't have a problem with the pick. Yeah, I mean, the guy, the guy's a stud, right? Like, he is a freak, Henry Ruggs, but so is Judy, so is Lamb. Did you see his high school basketball uh, tape? No. He's doing windmills, he's doing 360s between the legs. I would take him as the starting point guard. He was Dennis Smith Jr. without <laughs> the jump shot. So essentially, he's Dennis Smith Jr. Yeah, Dennis Smith Jr. don't have a jump shot either. So <laughs> That's funny. Um, that, that's, that's a good insight right there. But let me ask you from the receiver holistic perspective now. Is there a guy who you like the best out of those three? And I actually, I want to bring in Justin Jefferson into that conversation because I think that dude's really, he really good. It. He busted his ass at that combine. He really put himself on the, I, I, I didn't, I don't, I mean, I guess I'm old school, but when you have 1,800 yards and I think 20 touchdowns, I, I think that should be enough to boost your uh, your status for the draft. But apparently he had to kill the combine in order to be a first-round pick. But he is very, very talented himself. I think now when you say like the best receiver out of them, do you mean best long term, best immediate impact, or who I think has the most talent and should be the best? Yeah, I think I think a combination. So I'll go with your last item there. So like basically we'll make an impact right away, but also you expect to have the best career. Um I expect C D Lamb to have the best career. But when it comes to like a, a talent standpoint, I mean, he can go up and get it with the best of them, obviously. He's a big boy. He can run. He can move. But when it comes to just a raw, on-paper type of talent, the other two guys, the other three guys actually, have more 
speed, quickness, jumping. On paper, I mean, I, I think that they're better, but there's a reason why the NFL draft isn't just about the combine. I think he's going to have the – I think he's going to have the most immediate impact right away. And I think the most talented in this draft is Jerry Judy, just the way he runs routes, his speed, his quickness. He lacks a little bit of hands, obviously. But I think think that Henry Ruggs really has a chance to have the most immediate impact. It's all about, I mean, it's all about. It's a little Hollywood Brown-esque, right? With with Henry Ruggs, like he could come in and just beat people. He could just beat them. It's to the point now where you're like, all right, this guy Henry Rose could really, really run. He can catch the ball. He can do a bunch of things out of the backfield. Play in a slot, could play outside. He's a little bit undersized, but he can run right by it. So, I mean, if you put him in the right spot, say he falls to a team like San Francisco at 13, I mean, God bless. You oh, plug boy. him into that type of offense right away who was born on speed with Kyle Shanahan, he could be the most successful out of the – the receivers right in the first season. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. So it's it's all about where these guys fall, and that's the tough part about it. It's yeah, all about situation. Which is funny because last year, I remember on this very podcast, I was so adamant that I thought A.J. Brown was the best receiver in the class. I thought he was by far and away my number one receiver last year, which people kind of thought was crazy. I mean, people like D.K. Metcalf better than him. I think A.J. Brown proved enough last year to prove that he's fucking beast, right? I think A.J. Brown proved enough at Ole Miss that he was better than I ag- D.K. Metcalf. I agree, but, dude. I agree 100%. Like, he he ran such beautiful routes. He's so tough. He catches everything. He's such a yeah, stud. Yeah, I thought he was short for a first-round pick. I mean, I didn't – he slipped, in my opinion. Me too. He really slipped. I agree. And, and, and the fact that he went to Tennessee, I was like, God damn it, man. My favorite receiver from the draft is going to the place where receivers go to die. And yet he still made such a big impact last year, obviously. Um, this, big this year, on the flip side, I think my favorite receiver is CeeDee Lamb as well. And I, I love how he runs routes. He runs these like patient routes, but he's so quick. Yeah. And yep. he comes back to the ball, uses hands. And uh, even on the Jerry Judy note, you said he has the drop issue a little bit. I love yeah. that Jerry Judy, even when he drops the ball, it's because he's trying to like get the ball at its highest point or come back to the ball and use his hands. He doesn't let the ball get to his body too much, which is a dangerous thing for receivers. It was the first thing about John Ross. I was like, oh, this guy's freaking me out. But anyways, um, CeeDee Lamb, I love him. The problem with me with receivers, and I, I played receiver in high school. It's my favorite position to watch. It's my favorite position to look at draft picks. Uh, but my my head always tells me, like, you don't build teams around receivers, right? So when receivers go, like, top five in a draft, it always kind of freaks me out a little bit. But these guys are so good, and so many teams need them that it makes sense that there's going to be three or four, maybe five first-round picks in a receiver. Uh, but if the Jets get CeeDee Lamb, I think him and Darnold will have an electric connection, uh, intermediate, deep, the whole nine. I'm praying for the Jets, and I'm a Giants fan, that they get CeeDee. I have a theory on it, and the theory, the way I'm looking at this year's wide receiver draft is it's a little bit different in most years for me because these guys have all been producing like for years. Like this has been a hyped up class since these guys were freshmen, if I'm not mistaken, and they've produced as freshmen, as sophomores, and now their junior season or their senior season, they go out and they're dominating as well. I haven't really seen a crazy drop off in numbers with these guys on um on their last two seasons for the most part in their top the top five top six receivers and you got to remember i mean 
a guy like Judy still has crazy numbers, but he had three potential first round picks playing alongside with him. Right. He wasn't getting Imagine, no double coverage. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he, wasn't, he also wasn't getting double covered, but you got to look into it and say like, Oh wow. I mean, if he was, you take him off of Alabama and you put him, say you put him into, we're going to go back into this. I apologize for harping on it, but say you put him into Oregon's offense, he's probably going to get 40 to 50 more targets in that type of offense with less, less talent on the outside. Right. But, um, my most underrated receiver in this draft, I know you didn't ask it, but I'm going to say it anyways. I was going to do it later. Um, so might as well do it now. Uh, Chase Claypool. This is not a biased pick because I'm a Notre Dame fan. Go Irish. Um, <laughs> He killed the combine, obviously. Everyone saw it. He had the same type of numbers as Megatron, which doesn't make him Megatron, obviously. I don't like his release, which in the NFL is a really, really big deal, obviously. But I think he's going to be a a second or a third-round pick where he's going to have an immediate impact right away because he could go to a premier team at that pick. and. It's gonna be it's 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 gonna be interesting to see him, and I'm very excited to see him. And if if he flops, my backup pick is Lavisca Chenault. Um, I know you don't really deserve backup picks, but <laughs> we'll allow it. He's been absolutely great at Colorado. I've been watching him the past couple of seasons. I've had him as my number one receiver in this draft last year, coming like like in my way too soon 2020 mock. I mean, he's a thick boy, bro. Yeah, he's he's. He could be. He could play running back. He could play slot. He could play outside. He had a bad combine because he got hurt at the combine. So he's with this crazy draft of receivers. He's kind of his name has fallen through the cracks, and I think that he's. I, I can't. I, I just. I can't think of all these. Like it's such a great draft, and it has me here puzzling, like puzzling myself. Such a great receiver draft, and I'm trying to tell myself that these guys won't have immediate impacts, but I think that there's going to be so many guys in 2020 that have an immediate impact as a rookie receiver. I mean, well, let's be honest here. With with the new rules in the NFL, receiver has become a much easier position to slot people into, right? Like, Mm -hmm. even think about the best teams in the league, or or actually think about it like this. Think about the best receivers in the league, right, over the past, like, couple years. You think of DeAndre Hopkins, obviously Julio Jones, Antonio Brown before he went off his shit, um, (laughs) and Odell Beckham, and you can throw in some other names, of course. But these are not guys who are, they're not carrying teams per se. Even DeAndre Hopkins, who put up outstanding numbers without Deshaun Watson, needs Deshaun Watson to bring the Texans over the hump. And now Hopkins isn't isn't in the Texans anymore, but besides the point. So that's why I fight myself every single year where I fall in love with so many receivers, but I'm like, they're not like really changing wins in the NFL. Because there's so many talented receivers out there, so many athletes who are able to make plays where it gets kind of mucky, where, you know, Calvin Ridley was a guy who I absolutely adored in the draft, and he proved worthy of all the adoration, right? But is Calvin Ridley winning games for the Falcons? No, but he's putting up sick numbers and he's dope in fantasy. So, like, it's so tricky to talk about these receivers because we get so hyped up on them, but it really comes down to the person who goes to the right situation with the right quarterback, right system, who is going to be in the playoffs when it matters most and not just putting up fantasy numbers. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I don't know if you saw the report about the, the Chiefs trying to trade up. I mean, you don't have to watch the NFL if the Chiefs trade up and, and get Henry Ruggs. I could oh, promise you that. Oh, boy. We don't oh, even face that. I could, <laughs> I could just promise you when you have three of the fastest men on earth in the same offense, and then you have Sammy Watkins, who's like the fourth fastest guy in that, and he still runs a 4-4. 
and he's about six foot six three around that. That's a problem. And then you're not even you're not even talking about Travis Kelsey yet. So that's God God bless the NFL if they come up and, and, and take the receiver because like you said, it's all about the fit and it's all about the right situation, and that is a good situation for essentially anybody. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, just to throw up my two cents with my sleeper receiver pick, since we're going to do this right now, uh, T. Higgins. That's my dude. I love T. Higgins. I think that guy's a, a playmaker. He's a go-getter. I'm a, I'm a big T. Higgins fan out of Clemson. That's my guy. I agree with you because he's performed on the big stages. Yeah. You watch Clemson. Obviously, when you watch teams like Clemson, Alabama, you see them more so than others on the primetime games. But you got to remember, Clemson's been in the national championship or at least a college football playoff the past, I think, every year in his career, if I'm not mistaken. I think so. Yeah, and sounds right. At that level, he's always balled out. And he's 6'4", dude. Like, he's a beast. And yeah. he's smooth. I mean, oh, love him. Um, I mean, I remember he killed Notre Dame, him and Justin Ross. I mean, when you could do it on that stage against the best of the best, my hats are off to you. I don't care about the ranks at that point. You step in between the lines and you come out and you ball. And I don't I know it. if I would call and, Notre Dame the best of the best, but. No, I mean, you know what? <laughs> no, I'm just taking a dig at you. Yourself on that. <laughs> Unless you want, unless you want me to just start ranting for the next twenty five minutes, I will. I can. I will get into that. No, no, but. no. We go. We go. We go. <laughs> That's funny. But uh, all right, wait. Let's let's regroup here for a second. Sports Blog New York podcast. Charlie Quinn of New York Sportscast, NY Sportscast on Twitter and Instagram, yep. and of course myself, Pete Kennedy, the Sports Blog New York podcast. Thank y'all for listening. As always, we're we're not done yet. We're not done. I'm just regrouping here for a second so we could finish out this podcast strong with a couple more items that I want to get to. Um, now you mentioned you had another take uh, about the top of the draft. I think number four or number three, I should say. Yes, sir. Can I, can I, can I take a guesstimation on what that should be? I have a feeling you're going to know what I'm talking about, but go ahead. Shoot. Why are the lions not taking a quarterback? I kind of agree. But and when he's healthy, Matt Stafford, I mean, he's really underappreciated. I agree. Really- and listen, yeah. I am a Matt Stafford apologist up the wazoo, bro. My friends make fun of me all the time because I am the only person they know, I think, who continuously backs Matt Stafford. But this dude missed his first game of like his freaking career last year when he like broke his back or whatever. And he's a baller. He turns it over a little bit, but he keeps that team in games. And without him, they are a wreck. I oh, understand that. Right? But if you're the Lions and you love Tua or you love Herbert or or whatever, why are you not taking him and letting him sit behind Matt Stafford for a year or two? See what happens. Maybe trade him down the line. Who knows what's going to happen? But to take a corner, which is seemingly the the pick that's going to be made, Jeff Okuda, right, who's yep. a stud and he's a really good player and all this great stuff, what corners are worthy of a top three pick in a draft? I don't know if there's any. In my opinion, it's quarterback, it's edge rusher, and it's offensive lineman who are worthy of top five picks in drafts. And that's kind of just like my my blanket statement about the draft. Those are the people who make the biggest differences. Why would you take anyone else there, right? If you want a corner, drop back to seven, eight, nine, ten, and do it then. So, was I close with your number three pick hot take or you, no? You were you were definitely close. I agree with you, but I also want to throw in. I mean, I wouldn't take – I'm trying to think of, like, the best corners in the NFL right now. And, like, you just – you put it in, like, if you're starting a franchise, would you take them in the top five? And I wouldn't. I'm just trying to think if there's any other positions I would throw into that mix. And it's going to sound crazy, but I'd probably put a safety 
in that top five over a corner. Game-breaking safety, for sure. A game-breaking safety can really, really wreck a game and change a game. I mean... Jamal Adams. I, I would take a game-breaking safety over a, a so to say, a game-breaking corner because you could just look... You could just go the Revis method and just not throw it that way. Because teams started doing that once the teams realized that when Cromartie left the Jets that it was just Revis and they would just pick the other side away. Yep. Like due to Richard Sherman, they just pick the other side away. And you can't do that with a safety. Yeah, you can't you can't stop Jamal Adams from being in the backfield or making yeah. plays downfield. You just can't do it. For sure. Yeah. Well, so what was your take? Was that your what was your take for a three? What I was gonna say is I think that Okuda's a reach at three. Yeah. Which I is agree. very very basically what we just said. I don't necessarily think that CJ Henderson is better than him, but I know that report has surfaced recently that teams have like about 40% of teams have um, Henderson on their boards over Okuda. I don't think necessarily that's really what those reports mean. I think that, like you're saying, that it's a reach at three for a corner. And I, I just can't understand why Detroit, if they're not trying to take a quarterback, why they're not trying to trade out of three. And maybe they are, right? We don't know. Maybe they are. Yeah, yeah you're right. You're right. If uh, I was out on open house, I'm, I'm selling the third pick. There's yeah. nothing... Nothing really. I mean, I would take Isaiah Simmons if I was them over Okuda. Yeah, or, or an offensive lineman. Yeah, at that point, I mean, protect the quarterback that that dies every season. He gets banged around year in and year out because he's, he's he's out there doing whatever the hell he could to make a damn play and gets and nothing for that. it. He gets nothing I for love it. That clip. I love that clip. It's on. Uh, I think it's against the Browns, like in his rookie or his second season, and. He throws a – it's like the last play of the game. He gets hit. It's a roughing the passer. They get the ball on like the five-yard line. Literally the last play of the game. They don't score. They lose. They score. They win. And he pops his shoulder out, and he runs to the sideline, and they're like, yeah, you can't play. And like he just throws his – just pushes his coach's clipboard out of the way, and he's like, I'm going in. Yes. Throws a game-winning touchdown, and his shoulder just pops right out of his, his socket. He runs to the sideline as time expires. He's a gamer. They haven't been able to keep him healthy since he's got there. Or put they a good really, team around him, even really. Come on, proper weapons around him. I mean, I love Kenny Galladay. I have a Kenny Galladay jersey sitting on the chair across from me right now. Even Marvin Jones I, is lit. Yeah, Marvin Jones is good too. And you know, Carry on Johnson was a good, a good pickup. And he got hurt too. <laughs> I, I like their offense, but I don't like their offense. It doesn't make any sense. Well, you know what? You know what's weird about them? And going like a weird Lions tangent here. In the first four weeks of the season. They were, I guess, or five weeks. They were two, two, and one, and they should have been fucking four and four and zero, or or four and one, or whatever it was. They blew a game in week one against the Cardinals, and they they had a lead in every game for the first like six weeks of the season or something like that, and they blew it. But yeah, not to go on a weird Lions tangent. I'm with you though. It's it's a weird situation there. Um, let let's keep this thing moving here for a second though, because I want to get to a few more items here before we say goodbye uh, for this episode. So there obviously are. Another, there are other quarterbacks that we didn't get to. I have one that I like, and I think it's almost too obvious to where it's like a hot take, but it's so obvious it is a hot take in a weird way. And that's Jalen Hurts. I watched this dude, and I know his accuracy is a little iffy here and there. I think he fits today's NFL in the right system. Because he is not a first-round pick. He's not going to go to the Cardinals like Rosen did. He's not going to go to a bad, bad team. He's going to go to a team that has a quarterback, a team that, in theory, has their shit together, 
and maybe will become that quarterback one day. And I watch him play. I've watched him work. I've watched him take getting benched in stride and go to Oklahoma and put up Heisman-level numbers and just work and work and work. I love Jalen Hurts. Is it crazy to think I think he could end up being the third or fourth most successful quarterback in this draft easily? Absolutely not. I think that he's a, he's a gamer. I mean, you can't – there's there's a couple things that I get it. You know what? Raw talent, all that matters. Measurables, all that stuff, all that matters. I get it. But at the end of the day, you can't measure hard. And you can't measure toughness. And you can't teach it. So, you know what? Maybe – Maybe you could say Burrow, Tua, Herbert, you know, they're the best quarterbacks, best three quarterbacks in the draft. You could say their talent is light years ahead of his. But I could bet you there's one thing that all executives will agree is that no one will outwork Jalen Hurts from the quarterback position. I think he's – I mean, when they win games by 30, 40 points this year at Oklahoma, he's like, I can't wait to get back to the locker room and lift. And we have work to do. This wasn't enough. And we just need to get better. Our teammates need to get better. We need to pick ourselves up as one. I, 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 he has leadership quality, leadership qualities that you just can't teach. And I think that if someone gives him the keys to the franchise, when, if and when he's ready down the road, a team like maybe I've seen Pittsburgh is in a bunch of mocks. Yep. I don't, I don't personally know if I like that fit, but I've seen it in mocks. I, I don't think you're crazy. I think Jalen Hurts is a gamer, and more importantly, Jalen uh, Hurts is a winner. And if a team chooses to give him the opportunity, I think he will seize it. He's that type of player. Right. And and you know what? You know what I always think about too, right? Uh, the Patriots in football, the Spurs in basketball, the Celtics in basketball. There are certain teams that when they're you know they usually have later round picks because they are have good records, right? When they get mm-hmm. a guy, for example. When um, the guy Robert Williams, who hasn't really panned out yet, but when he fell to the Celtics in the NBA draft, people were like, oh yep. frick! Now the uh, the Celtics got this guy. He was supposed to be a lottery pick. They're gonna figure it out. When the Patriots get a guy who fell, or they pick a guy at thirty that no one else really cared about, it's like, oh, the Patriots find, they found the guy and everyone was sleeping on. I know for a fact that if Jalen Hurts gets picked by the Patriots or the Steelers yes. for that matter, because the Steelers do a pretty damn good job of drafting people. I agree with you. Yeah, like people are gonna go, oh snap, yo. The Patriots got Hurts. He's going to be a problem in like three years, right? And and that alone, that people will get nervous if the Patriots draft him, helps prove my point that I think he's a legitimate NFL quarterback. Because if if people just thought he wasn't a legitimate NFL quarterback, they wouldn't care whoever picked him, right? But everyone kind of thinks it, but they don't know because he's too far down in the drafts. They don't want to go too high up or too hot of a take. But as soon as he gets picked by that team that you trust, you're going to go, oh, shit. Yep. We should have given him hey, some man, more credit. I love, the, I love the landing spot of if somehow the Chargers decide to bypass the quarterback on Thursday and not take a quarterback with a sixth pick and just say, hey, Tyrod Taylor's our guy, like they've been saying, and this isn't a bridge thing. We think he's our guy. And they decide to take Jalen Hurts. I can't think of a more perfect fit for him. Um. Yeah, I think I, th- I, I think Tyrod Taylor up. loses his job by week eight again. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Yeah, like I really think that that is that couldn't be more of a perfect fit. Um, a team like Jacksonville is someone we may see take a quarterback mid round because I know they have Gardner Minshew, but let's be real, you struck gold on Gardner Minshew. Some people think um, you have to get a backup for him. You just traded Nick Foles, so if Gardner Minshew isn't the guy, you need to have some sort of stability. 
Um, I actually have a question for you. Yeah. Yeah. So who is your most underrated prospect in the entire draft? Quarterbacks not involved. Uh, you know, I, I'm going to be straight up. I don't dive much further past the second round in these things. Sure. I'm just going to be straight up with that. Okay. Out of the first two rounds then, I'd say. Uh, I guess out of a pool of like 60 to 70 players. Right. So like T Higgins was my, my skill guy who I looked at like that and just said, you know what? This dude is just like, he's going to be a gamer and he's going to make plays when he's at the next level, uh, no matter what. But I, uh, I don't, is this a sleeper? Like, I don't know if it's even really a sleeper, but I, I love the, uh, the corner from Alabama is uh, a Trayvon Diggs. I'm a big fan of his. I, yeah, I think, I think he's just a really well-rounded well-built player who is going to be just a really solid corner for years to come. And, and it's not going to be the type of guy who I think is going to be looked at as a top tier corner, but I think mm-hmm. he's going to be on a couple different teams. And every time he goes somewhere, it's going to be like, Oh, we got a dude right now. We got a dude. Yeah. I mean, I know, I know a lot of scouts talk about his frame and all his measurables and like got the perfect build for a corner. I've seen he's been slipping. So that was a little bit of a surprising answer, but I, I, I can see where you're coming from. I, I, also, I do have one more though. This one's actually this. Honestly, if we're gonna be real, this is uh this is the real guy who I love, and I I I don't know if he's gonna be like a specialist or a I don't I hate using the word Tavon Austin, uh, but the dude from Kentucky, Lynn Bowden Jr. Oh, Lynn Bowden, oh yeah. man, he's I'll, ball too. I'll go Lynn Bowden. I'll, I'll go with him okay. because I think uh, in today's day and age in the NFL teams are being more and more creative with putting players in positions to succeed. And the right team in theory takes Lynn Bowden and makes him make plays some way or another. Uh, So I'll I'll go Lynn Bowden. Who's just like this freak athlete burner uh, from Kentucky, who was like a wide receiver running back quarterback. Everything. Yeah. It was the whole nine yards everywhere. It was crazy. Yeah. So I'll go Bowden jr. Um, I have an interesting pick. I mean, it's not going to sound like he, he's underrated because, I mean, the name, the school, the flesh. I mean, he, he wore the seven in college at LSU. Um, Grant Delpit, I mean, when you get to wear the seven at LSU, it's oh, yeah. one of the biggest honors in college football. So especially from the defensive side of the ball with all the, uh, the prospects that have come out of Louisiana State. I think that he's being very much so underlooked. I mean, what is he and- projected like to go like 50, 60? Yeah, I mean, and he was, if I'm not mistaken, on almost every mock draft in America, he was top 10 to top 15 before the season started this year. I think he, I, I can't, I, I, I can't understand the slip. I know that there was some some poor play, you could say, during the season. I mean, he was banged up all year. He had a lot of, lot of injuries. I think that he is going to go a little bit earlier than people expect. And I think he's going to be an immediate impact type of guy right away. Him and um, Antoine Winfield Jr. I know his father was a, was a pro athlete as well. I believe he played safety with the Vikings. Oh, the dude from Minnesota? Yep. Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, I, those, I, I don't know much about him, but I, I definitely i have heard the name and I've uh, seen a few highlights of him. Yeah, I think those two are really going to – be the immediate impacts, underrated players in the draft right off the get-go. Yeah, and it seems like, you know, rolling through these prospects and stuff too, there's a lot of guys who are just like, their position is just like edge rusher, right? But like, 
they're kind of hybrid outside linebackers, which is kind of a new wave in today's day and age. Like Josh Ush, is how do you say Ushi or Ush from Michigan? Ush. I know. Like that's the type of guy I look at who can be, in theory, a really, really effective player in the NFL. Or he can be in no man's land and do nothing well, right? So, like, there's guys like that, and Delpit is similar in a sense to where, like, he could work really, really well, or there's a world where it's kind of like, eh, he's kind of just behind. Yep. You know, so it, there's a lot of guys like that when I look through the second-round people that are just confusing, and that's why they're second-round people, right? Like, you don't know what they're going to really look like until they're there. Yep. I have – um. I've been juggling this debate along uh, friend groups a couple weeks now. I haven't really gone to the public with it. I am very interested with the debate. I'm interested to see what you're going to say. It may catch you by surprise. You may have heard this from a a third party. I'm the the general manager of the Dallas Cowboys. I call you. You're the Miami Dolphins general manager. I say, I won't pick 5 and 18. You get to have Dak Prescott. What are you doing? And you're the Dolphins. I'm the I'm the Dolphins. You're the Dolphins. I'm offering you Dak Prescott for five and eighteen. We can't find a contract. Nobody knows that at the moment. We can't find ground on a contract, and we're looking to draft either Herbert or Tua at five. I'm gonna say no, thank you. If I'm the Miami Dolphins, if I'm I the- couldn't, I couldn't agree with you anymore. And, and here's why. Here's why I say no. Because if you're the Miami Dolphins and you look at the Cowboys. <laughs> Over the past, what, five five years of Dak's career now? Or four? It's either four or five. No, whatever. Not four or five years of Dak Prescott. It feels like 20. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so it feels like it's been 20 years of Dak, but it's been four or five. So besides the point, if you're the Dolphins, you look at the Cowboys' success or lack thereof over the past couple of years, you know that Dak wasn't quite the issue, but he wasn't what was lifting you above. When the Cowboys were at their scariest points uh, of Dak Prescott's tenure, it was because the defense was freakishly good with the the pass mm-hmm. rush and Demarcus Lawrence, and, and their defense was just rolling. Or it was because the O line was fantastic and Ezekiel Elliott was the star of the show, right? So if you're the Dolphins and you're trying to reset this whole thing, and you look at the landscape of the league and you say what are the best teams doing consistently, and it's getting extraordinary quarterback play great offensive line play and having a good defense, right? Mm -hmm. And if I'm the Dolphins, I say I'll take my chance with Tua or Herbert and I'll build my own, um, you know, line and defense with all the picks I already have. I don't need, you know what I mean? So, so that's where I'm sitting. It's not even from my end. It's not even, I'm happy you said that, but it's not even a discredit to Dak on my end because he doesn't even, I get he's an established quarterback. He threw for almost 5,000 yards last year. Not mistaken, he had a league high in yards. It's just, he, he kind of reminds me of a guy you could just you could just plug anybody into that Dallas system. Not that he has crazy receiver weapons, but like you said on the O line, the O line is has been the best, one of the best in football for the past couple of seasons. When it comes to Dak, I don't think he puts you over the top like you were saying. You can get two. Earlier in the show, I said you can get two prime players in the first 20 picks of a draft. I mean, they have 5-18. and 18. They've been rebuilding for years. You're not going to win now if you're the Miami Dolphins. I know they just spent a boatload of money. It's a possibility, but you, realistically, they're not expecting to win now. So if I was them, I'm just passing on that, and I'm taking the right. quarterback you don't have to pay right now 
And if we don't have to play him, you could sit behind Ryan Fitzpatrick, who is a very, very intelligent man, regardless of his win-loss in the NFL and uh, how he, successful. He's an intelligent man. He's not an intelligent quarterback. Let's set that straight. Yeah. He, he went to Harvard. <laughs> he went to Harvard. Wait, really? He, he's he went to Harvard? A thing or two. So, yeah, he went to Harvard. I never heard that one. Yeah, he went to you got to see the picture of him. He went to Harvard with no beard. <laughs> crazy, 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 crazy. Oh my god. If if you had a dollar for every time that got mentioned on a broadcast, you'd have at least $3 for every game he's ever played. <laughs> <laughs> and the the best part about that, right. I get so worked up about this cuz like he is the antithesis, which is a word I just kind of botched, but he is the exact opposite of a smart quarterback. He is a gunslinging, big balls quarterback who just makes whatever play he feels like making. And sometimes it's sick, and sometimes it's trash. He is by no metric a smart quarterback, but he went to Harvard. It's it's hysterical to me because you get a guy in Tampa Bay like Jameis Winston who Everybody knows that's literally the definition of James Winston. He's not the smartest guy. He'll take risks. He's willing to throw the ball down the field. They're the same quarterback. <laughs> yeah. And they bring that guy in to teach him. As if it worked out for him in the first 10, 12 years it's of his hilarious. career. It's hilarious. It's like, like telling J.R. Smith early in his career to, to reel in Nick Young. Yeah. I mean, for, for, that is, that, I could not think of a more perfect comparison that is phenomenal and i specifically is, said jr smith early in his career because i actually think jr smith doesn't get enough credit for growing as a player and like being a good defender and team basketball player whatever but like denver nuggets new york knicks jr smith hey you go teach a, nick young how to not be an asshole <laughs> yeah he was he was a he was a baller but he was he wasn't like quiet but he wasn't henny jr he yeah. wasn't even <laughs> remotely close to henny jr oh and i find God. that so drink hennessy that's hilarious. Oh man. All right. Well, we gotta we gotta close up shop here. This has been a really fun podcast, uh, Charlie. So sure. you haven't you have any last I like to do this with all my guests every single episode. You have any last words? They could be about the draft, they could be about the Knicks baseball, about your own uh, stuff that you're working on, New York sports cast, whatever you want. What are your last words for the sports bug New York podcast? Um, first and foremost, my last words are, are gonna be thank you, Pete, for having me on the show. I really appreciate it. Um not that I'm this crazy big uh, personality now, but uh, never forget where you came from, and I have nothing but respect for the boys over there and everything you're doing. I know you're holding down the fort and doing what you got to do. Um, be positive, people. I mean, I know it's a crazy time right now going on. Stay safe. Stay inside. Don't overthink all this stuff and just abide by the rules, man. The Knicks are going to be back in, in, in no time, and New York sports will be good to go. Thank you very much for having me on the podcast. Just be safe, man. Beautifully said, Charlie. Beautifully said. Don't overthink it. Just follow the freaking rules. That's well done. Charlie, thank you for coming on the podcast, and I appreciate the kind words, bro. Uh, I love watching what you're doing over there at New York Sportscast. I need need to follow your footsteps now and get my Instagram game up, and that's just facts right there. So, um, you know, whatever I may or may have not taught you, hopefully you learned something from me back in the day. Uh, Trust me, we'll do a jersey swap one day. Hey, that's what I'm talking about. That's what I'm talking about. All right, bro. Uh, be good. Stay safe, everybody. Enjoy the draft on Thursday. And maybe, uh, Charlie, maybe we'll come back. We'll do a little post, a little recap. For sure. Maybe a little IG live. Who knows? We'll get the IG game up. Always open for it. Any way to, any way to be involved. That's what of I'm course. talking about. 
All right, signing off the Sports Block New York podcast for podcast, huh? Podcast for Charlie Quinn. I'm Pete Kennedy. Have a great day. Stay safe, everybody.